Turn with me over to the book of John. My name is Brett. I am pastor of these people, and it's good to see all of you, especially our guests. Glad to have you here. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. John 2, 1 through 10. The title of the message is Mother's Day. Vintage Inspirers. Vintage Inspirers. Verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when the wine ran out, verse 3, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 to 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water parts, pots with water. So they filled them to the brim. Verse 8. And he said to them, draw out some now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people are drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Lord, help us as we study. Four things about this passage that I'd like to speak about. One, Mary saw the need. Two, Jesus realized the moment. Three, Mary recognized the calling in her son's life in a special way. And four, Jesus recognized the need. Backdrop. This wedding in Cana was a special event, as all weddings are special, but you have to understand the specialness that the Jewish uh, customs would, would impose upon weddings, which are not found in Western culture today. In some places around the world, it's still much like what I'm about to explain, but not many places. A wedding would last a week, a week. And the reason, for the most part, it would last a week is because people had to come from long distances in order to participate. And when there were no cars and there were no planes, it might take you a week to walk there or to take a donkey. You'd have to literally, if your family came, have a caravan of animals carrying food and supplies. You'd have to have guards and made sure that they were protected on the way. It was an event. And so the last thing you want is for people to spend a week or two traveling for an hour and go back home. You couldn't do that. And so it had to be a vacation. And so weddings lasted a week, literally, with the reception before and the consummation after. So today we do all the vows and the ceremony, and then we have an hour or two or three afterwards, have a nice party, enjoy one another. Back then the party would exist before, and then it would culminate with the wedding, then everybody would go home. Six, seven days a week, they would be partying. And it would be, f be rather embarrassing if somebody ran out of food. What, you didn't plan? Uh, are there people here who crashed the party? You invited me. Why don't you have enough resources in order to supply? 
It was very, very offensive to run out of anything. Now, if you know anything about Middle Eastern culture, and it's still this way today, not in the big cities so much as it is in the villages, but Middle Eastern culture is very high on hospitality. Western culture is not. When you go into a, a, a person's home in the Middle East, whether it's Iranian or, or Jewish or uh, Iraqi, there's a sense that they want to treat you like a king. You are their special guest. You are just not a guest. They will put you at the head of the table. They will feed you the finest pieces of food. And you will be there all night. I'm not talking about sleeping. I'm talking about talking. And food will just keep coming. It will just keep coming over and over one. And, and as soon as you finish the conversation that you thought was going to end the moment and quietness has settled over the entire place, somebody chimes up with another thing they want to talk about. And it goes on and on and on. Why? Because they want to serve you with who they are. They want to give you the best. If there's no place to sleep, they're going to give you their bed. Hospitality is very, very big. So to not have, have provision for somebody is, is very offensive, and it's embarrassing. Secondly, uh, Cana happens to be about five miles from Nazareth, the place at which Ju Jesus grew up, and from where Mary hailed. We're not quite sure where Joseph was from. We think it was from Nazareth, but we do know for certain that Mary was from there. And this, this, this five miles, even though it was probably much longer for them because they had to travel by donkey, was, was much more a dependent dependency in five miles than we would have today, even though Chantilly and Herndon are fairly close. Uh, we can get there in literally two or three, four or five minutes. Uh, yeah, let me, let me go there. Let me say that because you're breaking the law if you do it in, in three minutes. <laughs> you can get there in a hurry. But with respect to the communities that existed back then, they were much smaller in their population base and so dependent upon one another in order to keep their economies going well. And so five miles, even though it may have been a good two, two and a half hour walk or an hour donkey ride, it was traversed quite often in order for people to share their goods. Now, Joseph, who was Mary's husband, the surrogate father of Christ, was a, a carpenter. And we have no reason to believe that he wasn't one of the best. Really good. Good enough whereby when he went from Nazareth to Bethlehem in order to do the census when baby Jesus was about to be born, uh, he, he had to stay there because his wife was giving birth and she couldn't travel back. And so he reestablished himself in Bethlehem for a minute as a carpenter, knowing there were probably carpenters there already. So he had to, he had to figure out how to make his skill sets work to put food on the table, and he was able to do so. So you have to be good to take somebody else's business. He was good. Being a good carpenter, he probably had the, the business of everybody in the region five miles away. Which meant that that kind of community kind of knew people. And you know how news travels when, when stuff happens. Folks begin to, to get excited about things when people hear the babies are being born or marriages are happening. Well, Joseph was about to get married. And for a man to get married who was upstanding in the community, it says that Joseph was a righteous man in Scripture, 
of standing in the community. I mean, if, this, if you wanted a door made, you went to Joseph. If you wanted a chair, you went to Joseph. If you wanted a window, you went to Joseph. He was probably the best. Now he was about to get, ooh, Joseph's going to get married. And in order to marry somebody of equal, if not better standing, you had to have some resources to make that happen because you had to pay a thing they called the bride price. Now, today, we don't have that kind of custom, but we have something similar. We call it an engagement ring. (laughs) It's the amount of money that you believe shows your affection for the one you intend to say I do to. And it's reflective of how you are going to provide in the future. So pick your richest, somebody who has a whole lot of resources. They don't go to Zales. (laughs) He didn't go to Jared's. They have something custom made that's like seven figures because it represents how they're going to provide. And if they come with something that's $1,500, that woman's saying, pardon me. Pardon me. I mean, I'm grateful, but not that grateful. I'm I'm just wondering what happened here. You got a quarter carrot that's H color? Are you kidding me? SSS3 what? What what happened here? Do you not love me? So it's an indication of something. And, And where do we get that from? From this. This is where we get it from. But back then, it had a practical application in that the man who wanted to to marry the woman would actually pay the bride price to the father of the bride. And it was an amount commensurate with what he had put in to raise her and what he was going to lose without having her services. It was a contract they would sign. And the only amount that we have that could be considered a comparison equivalent would be what would happen with a guy named Jacob in the Bible. The Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob. In the book of Genesis, he's running from his brother leaving his home because his brother's thinking about killing him. And he runs to his uncle Laban's home, the brother of his mother. And when he gets to Uncle Laban's house, which is about probably 80 to 100 miles north, he sees this woman, Rachel. Rachel happens to be Laban's daughter. Now, don't get upset. First cousins could marry one another back then. He sees Rachel. He goes, wow. And the Bible describes Rachel as gorgeous, gorgeous. He says to Laban, Jacob not being married, I want her as my wife. Now, he just fled Dodge. I mean, he got out under cover of darkness. He had no resources. He said, what I'm going to give you is the equivalent of what she's worth. I'll give you seven years of my labor. Okay? Let me say it differently. How much money do you make annually? Okay, let's just just talk about a a blue-collar worker. An average American making fifty to $60,000 a year, right? In this area, that's not enough. That's called not enough. That's what that's called, not enough. <laughs> called not enough. But that's what people make, you know, 50, 60. That's, that's, that's middle, middle, middle class times seven. What he's paying is somewhere between three dollars and $400,000 for the privilege of marrying this woman. That's the only equivalent we have in all of Scripture to determine what somebody might pay in order to secure a woman's hand in marriage. That's a woman of just normal standing. We're not talking about nobility. 
We're not talking about a princess. Though they may be princess in character, they aren't sitting on a throne. That's just normal. How long does it take for a man to earn that kind of money? They don't get it when they come out of college. That's why when a marriage happened, everybody said, he's arrived. He's been working for 15 years for this moment. He saved up his money. He's been a good steward. Who's he marrying? Oh, this little girl from Nazareth called, called Mary. Ooh, Mary? You mean Mary? She, she, she memorized the entire, she got the award in the Iwana class. Memorized the entire book, <laughs> entire book of Isaiah. The whole book, she's amazing. She's the best girl in the youth group. Now, I say that because most women would get married young. Most men, older, because they had to earn enough money in order to secure the woman, and they wanted to make sure they secured a woman who could bear them as many children as possible. So they married the youngest they possibly could, and, and, and they were fairly old. So the disparity in age was normal. Joseph could have been 35, 40 years old, and this is probably why we don't see him on the scene when, when Jesus is an adult, because he probably passed, gone. You're marrying Mary. Boy, you got some, that's a good girl right there. Oh, this wedding's going to be special. He's a righteous man. She's the best girl. My point is the entire community was excited about this moment. Everybody knew. You know, this, is, this is a special marriage. This is great. This is great. This is great. And then six months later, Mary's got a little pooch in her belly. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Joseph? Joseph. Now, I know she's pretty, but couldn't you wait? A... Baby's not mine. Mary? N no, Mary. No! No, Mary! Yeah. News travels fast. News travels fast. About everybody in the area knew what went wrong here. And then Joseph decided to marry her. Joseph, what are you thinking? Why would you do such a thing? There are other people. You can get a refund on this, you know. You can get a refund. I mean, this is, called, this is grounds for divorce here. You can go back and get your money back. I got a dream from God. The Lord said, marry this woman. Take her as your wife. For this is my doing. I'm going to obey. He married her. I can't believe he married her. Yes, he married her. He did. Oh, no. He did. Everybody knew. 30 years later, Mary and, and Jesus are at a wedding. Can you imagine what these gatherings must have been like when Mary had to be with everybody else? There she is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Her son, yeah, he thinks he's all that. Mm -hmm. He stood up in the synagogue the other day. <laughs> Opened up the scriptures, began to read from Isaiah. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> Caused quite a stir. Tried to throw him off the bridge. Right, right, right off the cliff. Right off the cliff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, we know. You know. You know. You know. Hi, Mary. How you doing, girl? How you doing? Good to see you. You looking good. You got your hair done real quick, didn't you? Girl, who did your nails? Oh, they're so pretty. <laughs> These gatherings had to be difficult. 
It couldn't have been easy. And Mary recognizes that they've run out of wine. It doesn't say that Jesus didn't recognize it, but it does say that Mary did. And moms, your job is not just to look at how your children are doing and to evaluate your success on the basis of their progress. Don't we do that, though? We're always looking for our kids to be a mirror of whether we're competent. If you haven't learned yet, stop that. Your children aren't that great. They're just not. None of us are. We are sinners. We reflect our sinful nature 90% of the time. And if it, it, it happens that we, 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 we somehow as children have a shining moment, it's one of these tears, isn't it? Parents, Because it doesn't happen often. <laughs> it doesn't ha- If it happened all the time, we say it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. Good job, boy. <laughs> no, we're just all over ourselves blubbering, thinking, I, didn't, I, think, I thought he had it on the inside of him, but I see it. <laughs> 90% of the time is, what were you thinking? <laughs> what were you thinking? And they're staring back at you. (laughs) And then we take those moments and define ourselves. I'm a failure. (laughs) I'm a failure. I don't know what I'm doing. And they got me. They got me as their parent. Lord, help. Stop that. And do what you can to be the best you can. But don't always be trying to judge yourself on the basis of whether your children obey today or tomorrow. Sometimes we've got to look beyond and begin to see the needs of the world and say, even if my child doesn't seem to be the kind who is going to be competent enough to meet that need, I have to recognize what they are and help train him or her to be that. Get your eyes bigger. Don't ignore what you see. Just make it bigger. Begin to look on the horizon. Mary saw something. She recognized the need, and she realized, I raised my boy to fill this need. That's why I raised him, to help humanity get over their problems, to fix the needs of human beings. That's why I addressed him the way I did. That's why God gave him to me. I've got to look beyond whether I did a good job or whether he's a good boy, though this one is different in that he was perfect, she didn't have to work hard, I get it, but that's not you. i got to look beyond it. Say, God, help me. I I, I talk to some parents too often and say, we don't want to have kids. You know, this is a tough world to bring up kids in, and and we just, we just don't, we just don't want, you know, we don't want to bring a kid into this world. I think, well, wait, 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 wait. Well, who's going to change it? You could produce the one that helps to do that. Secondly, when God did that thing of, you know, making people one, I, I realize our Western mentality has theologically put it in the ballpark of this mystical union between a man and a woman where at some point you, you grow into finishing one another's sentences. And, and, and you, 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 you think each other's thoughts as you become one. May I burst your sentimental bubble just for a moment? 
I've been married to the most fine woman on the planet for 30 years. Never once have we finished each other's sentences. And in fact, every time she tries, it's always wrong. <laughs> she never gets what I'm going to say. No, that's not what I meant. We could not be more different. We could not be more. You don't want to marry somebody like you. No, no, no. And so that mystical thing, I mean, that, 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 that's, that's good. It's important. But it's more about you being compatible than same. That's what oneness means. Not just you like the same movies and you, you like the same food. My wife and I don't like the same anything. <laughs> I mean, nothing. We are completely different. I'm passionate. She's like this every day. I'm up and down every day like this. She, I can count on one hand the number of times she's cried since I've been married to her. And three of those were when her father died. That's her, just like this. I cry every week. be more different. The Hebrew mind would have looked at that scripture regarding oneness and not just seen this mystical union. Therefore, the man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That meant have a baby. One of the primary reasons you're supposed to be joined is to produce one flesh. Don't talk to me about coming into marriage and not wanting kids because you are missing the blueprint that God designed. If you want to fashion it after what you want, fine. It won't be a biblical marriage. It'll just be a marriage. Your child can change the world. Change the world. Mary saw beyond. And she saw this wasn't planned well. What's planned well? The world's messed up. It's not planned well. Nobody's doing it right. Somebody forgot the order. Somebody didn't deliver the wines. Somebody did something wrong. But somebody's going to get blamed. And Mary said, we got to fix this. Jesus, here's his mama. See, this is a mama and son thing in this story. This isn't just a wedding thing. This is a mama son thing. She comes to Jesus and says, they ran out of wine. Jesus said, so? And he says, woman. Now, he's not saying it in a derogatory way. He's saying it in a respectful way. Hearkening back to when Adam saw Eve and said, you shall be called woman. It wasn't, woman, listen to me. It wasn't that. It was woman. It was trying to give respect as he was saying something that was going to be a little bit less than encouraging. What does this have to do with us? I mean, Jesus had just been baptized at the River Jordan. John the Baptist had proclaimed who he was. Not many people understood it, but everybody knew something special about this one. He's special. I don't know what all that prophecy thing meant, but wow, he's amazing. And if Jesus were to fulfill this request that his mama was trying to get done, what benefit would it be to anybody except for get more drunk? I mean, really? Nobody's getting healed. Nobody getting saved. Nobody's getting discipled. We're not having prophecy flowing. There's no, 
Just more wine? What does that have to do with you and me? I didn't come to get people drunk. I didn't come to do that. <laughs> and this miracle is not found in the synoptic gospels, which are the accounts of Jesus' life in some kind of orderly fashion. John's is not the same. It's, it's more of a compilation of highlights. Uh, the other ones are supposed to be either in the order in which miracles happen or clumped into a moment of, of sermonic prose, but John's is different. The reason this is not in there is because John's gospel was written last, and we believe that this miracle, even though the disciples, Mary, and some others knew what was going on, was intended to not be shared. It was supposed to be kind of quiet because it had no benefit to anybody except those who were there and to give the host the bridegroom, the privilege of saving face. Just wasn't that big a deal. So John put it in there so people would know, but it benefited nobody in that generation. Nobody in that generation. And John wrote his gospel sometime around 80 or 90. So most of the people who were a part of this moment were gone. We have it because we understand something about law first mentions and, and John wanting to make sure that that some of the things that weren't mentioned in the other Gospels, which he had read, were at least known about. And this was distinct to him and a few others. And so he, he, he writes it down. And, and here Jesus is saying, this doesn't have, why am I? But see, this wasn't just a wedding. This was a mama and son moment. Remember all those women talking? If I do this, probably shut all those women up. Because see, an illegitimate son, if I was born of, of wrong birth, I can't be a prophet. And I can't do miracles because people believe that God doesn't do that with people who are of illegitimate birth. That was the culture. Is it true? If that's the case, most of us are disqualified from life. But that was the culture. If I do this, everybody will know that I'm legit, and it, it'll help mama out. Jesus loved his mama. He loved his mama. He did something before his time just because he loved his mama. Mary recognizes the calling. And she says, as a result of Jesus' response, talks to the servants and says, whatever, whatever he tells you to do, you just do it. Now, what she understands by talking to the servants is that Jesus is going to do something. She doesn't have a conversation with him anymore. Her conversation is now with the people. And mamas, your conversation not only needs to be with God, but it needs to be with people. Meaning you need to tell your children, obey Jesus. Whatever he says, you do. Are you, are you listening? Mary told the servants, whatever Jesus says, do it. And when your children ask you that proverbial, disrespectful question of why they have to obey you, when you tell them to do something, please say something a little bit more than what your mama told you, which was, because I said so. It's not about your authority. It's not about my authority. It's about driving them back to what Jesus said. 
Now, Jesus didn't tell them to take out the trash. You did. But Jesus told them to obey you. So they got to take out the trash. When they are older, there are too many thoughts running through my brain that have a lot to do with my own children right now, and I probably just need to pit stop that and go someplace else. When they're older, they just need to move. <laughs> I'm just saying. There's only room for one man in one house. You got to drive them back to what Jesus said because at some point when they turn about 13, they're going to realize you got your flaws. Oh, you're just human like me. I have to obey you because you feed me, but you are human like me and you don't get me. You don't understand me. I feel like I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I can do what I want. I'm grown. I'm grown. I'm grown. I can make my own decision. And all of a sudden, we become completely irrelevant, stupid. You just, you want to be able to say, you're right. It's not about me. It's about him. To make that shift after it's always been about you is sometimes too hard of a right turn for kids to make. You got to drive him back. Whatever he says, you do. And that's why, listen, my, my, children, my children are not perfect, but they all love God. And once they've gotten out of my house, they do what he says. And, and, and as much as I complain about so many adults that have boomerang and come back in my house and still live with me, and I love my people, and they are amazing human beings. I got two of them who are in ministry with me here, and I got more coming. I, I could not have better kids. I just thank God every day that he was able to cover all my flaws. But I, I don't have time. Don't clap. But it's important <laughs> that you understand that we started in the beginning of saying whatever he says to. Because when you're outside of my house, I can't talk to you anymore, and you can't hear me even if I do. Whatever he says, do. And then Jesus recognizes the need. He says, fill the water pots. Now, these water pots were for purification. You have to understand something about culture back then. The Jews were unusual in that they actually believed that it was important. Let let, let me me do this. What did your mama say when it was time to go, go to dinner? What's the first thing she said before you came to the table? Go wash your hands. We get that from biblical injunction. If you didn't have your Old Testament or Old Testament culture, if you were just a regular Roman, they never washed their hands before they came to eat. And they didn't have knives and forks. And sometimes it was communal eating, meaning one big plate, you just pick out what you want. Look, listen to y'all. Listen, ooh, hey, hey. There are many places, you go to Ethiopia, that's what they do. It's just a different way of doing stuff. But they didn't wash their hands. The Jewish people realized, we, now they didn't know anything about germs, they just knew we need to purify ourselves. 
And so they had these pots whereby that could be done. Jesus said, fill the pots with water that is intended for purification. What's about to happen here is a miracle. He's going to change the water into wine. But he's got to have something to work with. You're the pot. What are you putting on the inside of you regularly? What kind of clean water are you putting on the inside of you that helps to purify your life? Holiness, purity, integrity, honesty, loving this word, taking whatever I say, though I may not be the best presenter on the planet, taking whatever I say on a given hour on a Sunday morning and making sure you are digesting it for Monday. God, help me to receive the benefit that I am getting from your word today so that I can put it on the inside of me that when it comes out, it tastes different to everybody else. It's not just water. You have made it with the combination of my life and personality, something that is the sweetest wine anybody has ever imbibed. Are you listening to me? The world is looking for real. They don't know what the stuff God tried to give them is. They have no idea. But they want to see it embodied in somebody. They don't just want thoughts. They don't want philosophy. They don't just want a better idea. Does it work? And when it comes out of you, it ought to be the sweetest thing they have ever tasted. But you got to put something in in order for him to make wine come out. He can change the water on the inside of you that is simply a message that lasted 35 minutes today. All it is is words, just words. Your devotion that lasted 10 minutes. What you pray, your time with Jesus, the conference you went to, all the things that you are intentionally shoving down on the inside of your soul. He can take that which is very ordinary and mundane, and when it comes out of you because you're living it, turn it into something that is the sweetest thing anybody ever tasted, so sweet that all they want to do is, can I follow? Where is your God? Who are you? All they want to do is be like you. Mamas, that can happen in your home with your children. You keep pouring into their life this word. Keep pouring. Just keep pouring. Every day I'm asking my children, how was your devotion today? And sometimes they have to say, Dad, I didn't read my Bible. And they have to say it to me because they can't lie which is great. And then I say, well, okay, since you didn't read your Bible, I'm going to tell you what I read today. You're going to get a devotion one way or the other. You're going to get a devotion. Now, I do it to you with conviction. With them, it's nice. Well, let me tell you what I read today. Keep pouring. And at some point, it's going to come out.